and as the other campuses and venues join us. First things first, while I was away, I listened in every week and Rustin and Kevin carried the water, did they not? I mean, it was just amazing, yep. And, you know, for those of you who might not be in the know, that's rather significant because uh, for 10 years, I've been here about 12 years, we have relied a lot on, you know, bringing in outside speakers and guest preachers, and we'll still do that. But what we've been working toward over the last decade is develop a team of younger preachers, and Kevin and Rustin are in their 30s, who uh, have, have evident gifts from God and are growing in their ability to teach his word at, at a level that we need them to for Scottsdale Bible and, and I personally was very, very pleased. And so thank you for allowing uh, me to go away and for them uh, to do that. As I was away, I was told that many of you read the Bible. I was really encouraged by that. Uh, you engaged in our Immerse study. We had about 4,500 Immerse Bibles either bought or given away. And you if you followed it, you read the whole New Testament. If you didn't make it through, that's okay. Neil made it about three weeks. And so, uh, you know, it, 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 it's not something for everybody to do in the eight weeks. But even if you just read a part of the New Testament or all of it, I'm just telling you, you ought to feel proud of yourself. It will pay dividends for years to come as you immerse yourself uh, in God's word. So I, I couldn't have been more pleased that you did that. Now, uh, I'm back here for obviously the fall and uh, late summer, and we are engaging in a three-week series right now called Get It, question mark, get it. And, and before I pray, let me just briefly explain, because this could be a watershed time for you here at our church. About three or four years ago, I was on a, a planning and prayer retreat with a few of our pastors, and we kind of had an epiphany happen to us on this retreat. We realized that as organized as Scottsdale Bible Church is, as intentional as we are and prayerful, we have a lot of different messages going on in trying to tell you what we are about as a church. In other words, we have a mission statement, a vision statement, we have five core values that drive us, we have a strategy, and they're all very meaningful to us behind the scenes. But we realize that if we ask the average person at Scottsdale Bible Church, and I won't do it now, but if I said, what's our mission? You know, what's our vision, Jim? Uh, you know, Marv, what are our five values? Uh, my guess is you do what these three did. You would mildly panic in that moment because, you know, you probably aren't familiar with those. And so we started praying about how can we distill much of what we drives us behind the scenes into kind of a, a, a front porch that everybody would be familiar with. And we landed on what Rustin calls this get model. We, there's three things that we want anybody who has contact with our church to get. First, we want you to get God. But we want you to get who he is. We want you to believe in Jesus Christ. We want you to, to be full of the Holy Spirit. We want you to understand and know God. Obviously, we want you to get God. The second thing that hit us is we want you to get real. 
We live in a town where it's easy to be superficial. And, and so it's our vision that you would have real relationships, authentic relationships, that you would share your life, even with just a few, in an authentic way, what the Bible calls fellowship or community. And then thirdly, we want you to get out there. We want you to, to be involved in this world and culture to help others see Jesus in you and in our church. And, and it was really a moment in time three or four years ago. Get God get real, get out there. It doesn't replace our mission or values or vision, but it kind of distills them in a way that you can remember it. So why is that important? In June, we did a similar retreat with a few of our lead pastors to talk about the next season of ministry here. And we realized that this get model is starting to take off here, that you are getting it, if you will. You're starting to understand what our church is driving at biblically, to get God get real and get out there. So what we're gonna do over the next few years is that when I come back from my little break over the summer, I'm gonna spend three weeks for the next few years, starting this year, uh, focusing on that aspect of who we are. We're gonna do one week on Get God, one week on getting real, and then another week on getting out there. Different aspects of those. Because that's what we're rallying around here as we rally around the Bible and as we rally around Jesus. So we're going to begin today by taking a look at just one aspect of what it means to get God. Uh, this year, we're going to take a look at his power. And I think you're going to be encouraged by this. So no more introduction. Let's pray. And we're going to dive into God's word. Father, I thank you for what you're doing here in this congregation called Scottsdale Bible Church. As we saw in Amanda's video, and this was moving, Father, that when somebody would type into one of our, our modern-day search engines, non-denominational Bible Church, we would pop up uh, there, and that, Lord, your spirit would inhabit that by even introducing your son Jesus to a gal like Amanda as she would start to seek and search in and through the congregations here. And so, Father, I pray that as we gather now here and at Cactus Northridge Chapel and Venue, all as one congregation, different meeting places, God, I pray that as we rally around your word now, that we would truly get you in a deeper way today than maybe when we walked in. Challenge us, encourage us when it comes to this thing called your power. And I pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So here is one thing you and I can all agree on when it comes to getting God, and that is that there is a lot when it comes to getting God. There's no simple way to really say it. What do I mean by that? Well, I want you to think about it. I mean, God, we know, is sovereign and providential, meaning he's always in control. We know that God is omniscient, meaning he knows all things and he embodies all truth. The Bible also says he is completely good and holy. He puts up with no sin at all because he is pure righteousness. But then conversely, he is also gracious and forgiving, willing to cut us slack with our sin. And we're just scratching the surface on who God is. I mean, we haven't even mentioned yet the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or the incarnation of God, Jesus becoming man as well as being fully God. Or how about the unthwartable will of God? You got to love this one. The fact that the Bible says that God has a plan for this world, even a plan for your life, and it cannot be thwarted. It was written since the foundation of time. Every day of your life was ordered before even one of them came to pass, the Bible says. And yet somehow that plays in your will as well. That's God. 
Or how about what theologians call the immutability of God, a fancy theological word that simply means he never changes. Chew on that one. You change, this world changes, everything's in flux. God never changes. As the Bible says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a lot to getting God. I love how Reinhold Niebuhr said it years ago. He says, when the finite looks into the infinite, he gets dizzy. Amen? He gets dizzy. So when a finite human being looks into the infinite God, man, it is just mind-blowing. And so for our purposes today, as we embark on this short three-week series on what it means to get God and then get real and get out there, what I wanted to do today is to try to distill much of what the Bible says about God's power into a practical and purposeful statement, a statement that I will warn you is going to hit you between the the eyes, a statement that though unambiguous is going to challenge some of us because you're going to initially say, yeah, 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 I believe that. But man, think about it because our lives give away that we don't believe it as much as we might think. But we're going to wrestle through this today because it'll pay huge dividends in our daily lives. And it's your main point, And it's this, that when you get God, you get that God is sufficient for all that you need and he's more than you could ever want. Man, you're gonna wanna write this down. He is sufficient for all that you need and though some of you like to make a distinction between needs and wants, let's now address that. He is more than your heart could ever want. Now, to best understand this statement, I wanna let the Bible guide us at this point. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses three through four. Uh, just a couple of verses today, but they're pregnant with meaning. If you didn't bring a Bible, I'm gonna put the scripture as I always do up here on the screen. The author, Peter, is talking here. He was a follower of Jesus, now inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says this. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, believe it or not, this passage is not as complicated as it might initially seem because it's using a lot of some lofty theological concepts. Really what's going on in this passage for our purposes today is Peter is giving us a what as well as a how. So he throws on the wall a what statement about God and us, and as it sticks and we chew on it, he then says, now here's how you can live this out. So first, let's parse out the what. And the what is found in the first half of verse three when Peter says this, that his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's the statement. That's the what. And I need you to link together divine power with all things that pertain to life and godliness. Because what Peter is essentially saying here is that the limitless God, who by his very nature has power in himself, watch this, 
that's different from the human power that's in you, the power you get from creation and being made in the image of God and having a body and a soul. It's not that power. No, this is divine power, God's power, that God desires to give his followers this power. But it doesn't stop there. He wants to unleash it in such a way that it will give you everything that you need to live life this side of heaven. That's the statement being put, thrown at the wall here, that God wants to give every one of his followers, he has given every one of his followers the power that they need to live life this side of heaven. You guys miss me, and I can tell you this right now because I'm gonna do something I always do. When it says that his divine power has granted us all things, I looked up that phrase, all things, in the original Greek this week, and you know what it literally means? Say it with me. All things. In other words, there's nothing ambiguous about there. There's no hidden meaning there. Some of us want to weasel out of this by saying, yeah, I know I need God's power over here, but I really don't need it over here. Or I know God will help me over here, but he's not really interested over here. That's not what he's saying here, gang. He's saying that when it comes to your life, he wants to give you everything that you need, even all that your soul really wants when it comes to living life. And that word life is interesting because in the Greek, it's the Greek word Zoe. We've named some of our girls Zoe today in our modern day culture. Beautiful name. It means life. And I've looked it up over the years. It means physical life, emotional life, intellectual life, vocational life, relational life. It means life. All of life, this side of heaven. So it's not discluding anything. It's saying that the life that we have here, God is sufficient for all that we need and he's more than we could ever want. That if you're a believer in Jesus, this is true for you. His power has been given to you. It's available to you each moment of each day. And it's right at this point that things begin to get tricky. Because Christians, I'm telling you, we, we are wily people. We, we tend to hear God's word and, and half believe it, but then use all of these excuses to sort of put it on the back burner. What do I mean by that? When it comes to this idea that God's power is enough for you and I to tap into, to live life this side of heaven, here are the excuses that I hear over the years that kind of try to diss uh, this truth. I, I hear people say this, well, you just don't get it, Jamie. By the way, I love it when they begin a sentence like that. You don't get it, Jamie, as if somehow I don't know. But you don't get it, Jamie. I have these problems and difficulties in my life that sort of prevent me from living the life God wants me to. And if I just didn't have this circumstance or that circumstance that's holding me back, man, then I could really have the life that God wants me to have. Have you ever found yourself thinking like that? Many of us have, if we're honest with ourselves. And when I ask somebody, well, what is it that's in your life right now that you think's holding you back from tapping into all that God is for you? I hear things like this, well, my marriage is bad. My job is not very fulfilling. I have financial problems. My kids are messed up. I get depressed. I'm anxious. I got all these temptations and sins that I'm dealing with. Or I'm ADD. I have cancer. I have constant fatigue. I, I get it. Here's what you need to know, gang. And I smile when I say this because we have to start believing this. God knows all of that. Amen? 
And he wrote this passage here in 2 Peter with an understanding and assumption that you have problems and that you have circumstances in your life that are difficult and that you're probably going to have for a while. Psychologists call them chronic issues. He understands chronic issues and he has already said that his divine power has granted you all things for life and godliness. Or how about this excuse? I hear people say, but no, Jimmy, I'm just, I'm just not spiritually mature enough you know, to, to live that kind of life. I hear that all the time. I mean, if I could just finally grow up and get my act together, Jamie, then I could live the life God wants me to. But I'm kind of a spiritual mess up. And if I could just become doctrinal like Daryl or holy like my grandmother, you know, or suave like Rustin, you know, maybe then I, I, I could start to, to live the life that, you know, God wants me to live. <laughs> Here's what you need to remember about that. And again, you got to smile at this. God has experience with people like you. Amen? He does. In fact, his original followers on earth here, when Jesus was on this earth, were 12 guys that would best be described as messed up knuckleheads. You read about them this summer. I mean, the 12 original disciples, I'm not being hard on them, this is the way the Bible presents them, were men filled with pride, fear, anger, backbiting, faithlessness, and this was all while they were walking with Jesus on this earth, and they walked with him. And they interacted with him. And eventually they followed him. And so my question is, is that if God can deal with people like that, do you think he maybe can deal with you? If God can impart power to people like that, do you think he can impart power to you? The, the answer is yes. So don't use spiritual immaturity or lack of maturity as an example. A third thing that, that we, we use as an excuse is, is our battle with sin. I hear this one a lot. People confess to me, hey, I've just been struggling with this sin for a long time. I can't seem to get over it. And if I could just, you know, deal with this besetting sin, man, then I could walk with God in, in such a way that, that, that he wants me to. Again, here's what you need to understand. God knows that. The precursor to this passage is written to a bunch of people who, like you and me, we'll see this in a few minutes when we look at one of the promises of God. He understands that you're dealing with sin. But why do you think Jesus died on a cross? Anybody know? <laughs> he died to forgive you of all of your sin. What does the Bible say? That when you embrace Jesus, he no longer sees your sin red as scarlet. He now sees you white as snow. He has thrown your sin as far as the east is from the west. That's a, an infinite line going away from each other. He has put them in the sea of forgetfulness. He's already dealt with your sin issue. doesn't mean you don't battle sin, but that's not not an excuse to, for, to walk with him and tap into his power in such a way that can give you life and godliness. Don't miss this, folks. Uh, Peter is telling us here that none of these things, none of them, are legitimate reasons, le legitimate reasons for not having everything we need for life and godliness. Not your circumstances, not your lack of growth and maturity, not even your battle with sin. He assumes all that and yet he still gives you the what. He still tells you that you have at your disposal, in your relationship with Jesus, everything that you need for life and godliness through his divine power that awaits you. 
To use a golf illustration, man, the ball is already teed up. It is there. He's put the driver in your hands, and he has said, swing. And if you swing, he promises you're going to hit the ball. That's what the what is here. Now, once we get that, the only thing that we're ready to move on to now is the how. And it's a very, very important how. Specifically, how does God's divine power get into our daily lives? That's a rather important question, wouldn't you think? In other words, what is it that you and I need to do, or better yet, be about in our lives for this divine power to give us everything we need for life and godliness? And, the, and to answer this question, we need to look at the latter half of verse 3 and then verse 4 because it contains the recipe, if you will, very clearly on what God is looking for from us to tap into his already present power. So let's dial into this. He says through. So that's the, that's the uh, tip that he's moving into the how now. He gave us the what. Now he says this, what happens through the, the, the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his very his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, I put there in yellow the, the things that you want to link together here, the knowledge of him and the promises that he gives that allow us to become partakers and escape. But let's put it in linear form, because you guys know I tend to be rather linear in my thinking, and this is a very linear passage. Here's what Peter is laying out. Here's what the Holy Spirit is telling us. And that is that the beginning to tapping in to the, or to the power of God is through knowing Jesus, here it is, personally. We'll see what that means in a minute. So it's not just intellectual knowledge. It's a relationship with Jesus that you tap into each moment of each day. Hang on to that. But then he adds a second component, and he says that you then need to trust continually in what he promises. We'll see what that means in a minute. And that if you do that, by its very nature, you will start to partake in divine power and even escape the world's grasp. Whoa. So there's an offensive and a defensive result. Offensively, you'll be able to move more fully into the power that God has for you. Defensively, man, you're going to escape some of the crud that's holding you back. But now let's go back to this. Notice that it begins in verse 3 with him, I'm sorry, with verse 2, or verse 3, with him telling us that it comes through knowing Jesus. He says this comes through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. The him here is very important. I asked him last night who the him was referring to and they didn't know. So let's not try that one. It backfired on me. Let me just tell you right now. The him that is referring to here is Jesus. And the reason that we know that is because in verse 2, you can look it up later or if you have a Bible in front of you, you can see it right now. It says that this whole section is about God and Jesus. And we know that Jesus is the one who calls people into his fold. He calls his sheep by name. So when it says him who called us, it's referring to Jesus. And what is it that we need to understand about Jesus? We need to know him. 
It says through knowledge of him. And this is really important. It's not head knowledge. Many Christians today think if I just know more Bible verses or if I go to Bible study or quote, do the right thing. That's what I was just talking about there. Those are important, but that's not it. That word knowledge there is the Greek word epigonosko that means knowledge by experience. It means intimate, personal knowledge. My wife was here in the last service and I used her as an example. I said, you know, if I tell you that after 31 years of marriage, we celebrated 31 years this, this summer, that I know this woman. It doesn't mean that I know facts about her, though that's part of it. It doesn't mean that I know her intellectually, though that's part of it. No, what you would hear me saying is, is that I know her, amen? I know it makes her tick. I I relate to her. I love her. And that we're growing in our relationship. That's what you would hear in that. And it's the same with God. That when he says, in order to tap into his power, you got to know him. It's referring to a relationship with him that you nurture each and every day in which you stay close to him in prayer. You talk to him all the time and you keep short accounts. And as you do that, he says you're going to start to tap in to the power he has for you. It's that kind of knowledge being referred to here. And it all focuses on Jesus. I loved our my story that we showed earlier of Amanda. Because if you're listening closely, it was an amazing story. Amanda started her story by telling us basically where most Americans are today, right? Kind of a liberal believer in God and all religions are the same. And you know, but, but then when problems hit in her life and we all got problems, man, that didn't carry her very far, right? It wasn't very substantive to have just that loose liberal belief in some sort of deity. And so she came to Scottsdale Bible, started hearing uh, Bible being taught and all that, went to see Michelle, who's one of our women's ministers, and, and Michelle explained to her the gospel and asked her if she wanted to accept Jesus as her Savior, and she did. And did you hear what she said? She walked out lighter, and her life began to change. As I like to say, she went from black and white to technicolor. Things opened up for her. And that's exactly what the Lord does for us. She's starting to experience his power and she's not using spiritual immaturity or anything like that as an excuse. No, she's on fire and she's tapping into it because of a knowledge, a relationship with her savior. That's the first step. And then the second thing that Peter tells us, and this might be even more important for some of us who are already doing this, Because some of you are going, okay, Jamie, I do this, you know. Well, okay, how about this? Trusting continually in his promises. I actually love how Peter says it. He's very poetic here. He says that we need to, to trust in his precious and very great promises. That word precious simply means valuable. That phrase, very great, is one word in the Greek that simply means magnificent. He's basically saying, there are some awesome promises in the Bible. And here's the deal, gang. This is going to put it all together for you. One of the reasons that some of us have very little power, even though we know Jesus, is because we are truly not trusting in the promises that he has given us. In other words, there are thousands of promises in this book. If you read the New Testament this summer, even though it was a flyby, man, you flew over hundreds of promises God has given you. And here's the secret. God wants you to know these promises, and more importantly, he wants you to truly, truly believe them for your life. 
And the degree that you believe them, he says, I will empower you. But conversely, to the degree that you allow the things of this world to dilute your faith and not deeply believe them, is to the degree that you will have an anemic and rather powerless spiritual life. You're still saved, you're not going to hell, but the reality is, is that you're not really tapping into his power because you really are not engaged in God on a, with God on a moment-by-moment -moment basis in light of the promises that he says about your life. And some of you are saying right now, well, no, I believe the promises of God. Okay, let's do this. Let's test it right now. And I need you to do something with me before we test this. I need you to be extremely honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask you to say anything to your neighbor. This is between you and God. But you have to ask yourself, do you really believe the things that God says about your life? And do you bank on them when things really get rough? Here's one example. Matthew 28 is one of the very last promises that Jesus gave us while he was on this earth. These are his second to last words. He's up in Galilee speaking to his disciples, which then became us. And so Acts 1 would be the very last promise he gave us, but this is the second to last. And he says this, behold, I am with you, say this word with me. Good. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, smile at this. Uh, the end of the age has not yet come yet. Most of you will die before the end of the age, which means that he is with you all of your life. That, that's the promise. And some of you say, I believe that. Okay. How many times have you and I found ourselves when things get rough, and we don't feel God in our lives, either saying or thinking something like this. Man, I don't know where God is. He doesn't seem to be with me right now. I mean, I feel rather lonely and I think he's just kind of abandoned me. Have you ever found yourself thinking or even more saying that to somebody? See, I hear Christians say that all the time. That when the bottom falls out and things get difficult, we say, I don't know where God is. He doesn't seem to be with me right now. And again, I get that, that's what you're feeling, but since when did we allow our faith to be guided by feelings? Do you allow your marriage to be guided by feelings? Do you allow your best friend to be guided by feelings? No, the feelings are up and down, they're here and there. Faith is about trusting, even when your feelings aren't there, even when your thoughts are going haywire. And the reality is, the Christians that fare best during difficult times they dig in deep and say, hey, I know that he is with me. And they say that to God, I know that you are with me and I trust in your abiding presence. And his power becomes unleashed in our lives. How about this one as an example? Let's look at a second verse here. Uh, you might have weasel out that last one, but this one's even harder, especially for us men. You'll see why in a minute. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to humankind or man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. But before we get to that, let me just make this very practical for you. Uh, this, this passage speaks to spending, pornography, food, anger, addictions, it speaks to a lot of things that you and I struggle with, any temptation that we might have, affairs in our life. 
And the way that many Christians tend to describe their temptations to me, and I get this, they say, man, it was like a wave came over me, man, it just swept me up, and I was like powerless, you know, to, to deal with it, and it just took me away. You ever heard somebody describe temptation that way? It's very powerful. And yet when we use an illustration like that, we're essentially saying, I don't believe this verse. Because what does it say? Well, first, no temptation overtaking you except what is common to man. I love this. It's basically saying, what you're experiencing is not new. People have been dealing with it for thousands of years. Millions, if not billions of followers have gone through what you're going through right now, and they've come out the end okay. So you are not Satan's pet project. You are not unique. What you're going through is not something that, that countless others haven't gone through. It's relatively common. Doesn't that make you feel good right there? It does me, because I tend to think I'm unique in my struggles. I mean, I'm just such a hypocrite. No, 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 no. God says, chill out, Jamie. What you're going through, a lot of people are going through. In fact, most of your church is going through it. So just take a step back. And then I love this. Here's the promise. God is, say it with me. Say it again. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. <laughs> See, he's basically saying, you don't have to cave in. You think you do, but you don't. You don't have to look at things on the computer that you think you have to look at. You don't have to eat the things that you think you have to eat. You don't have to say the things that tend to come out of your mouth. No, if you're a spirit-filled, Jesus-focused follower, then God says his power is there for you. Believe the promise that you are not tempted beyond your ability. And then I love this one. But even when you are tempted and think you're about ready to cave in, he will provide a way of escape for you. What do you think that means? I, you, you guys aren't going to believe this story, but it, but it happens to me so often that I, that I, I just know this is God. I, I, I have shame every time I share this illustration. I really do, but I, it is so real and me. I, I don't struggle with anything that I think would disqualify me from ministry, but I, I do have my temptations and struggles, and one of the biggest ones is food. I mean, I, I just struggle with that. I struggle with my diet. I, I mean, I, I love God with everything in me. I love my wife, and a close third is food. I just love food. <laughs> I mean, like I go to, I, I eat dinner at night and I think, I wonder what's for breakfast. I mean, that's exactly kind of how I'm thinking. And, and you guys are so nice to me because, you know, I come back from a trip like this and I've had like three or four people say, hey, did you lose weight while you're gone? And I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just fatter than you remember. I mean, that's what, what it is because I haven't lost a pound. In fact, I get on the scale every week and, and I weigh myself. And for eight years, I've, I've weighed the same and it's pathetic because I get on the scale and I think, I, I wonder if eating crappy and not working out has paid off yet, you know, and I get on the scale. <laughs> It's that definition of insanity, right? Where you do the same things and expect a different result. And so I'm a mess there. And, and, and this is a true story. So I'm, I'm always trying to, you know, to, to walk the straight and narrow there. I really am. And, uh, and in June, my wife uh, went to, to, to Michigan where we were a month earlier than I did. And so I was alone for a month. And, and so again, I, I knew I was preparing myself for this so that when we came out of the house, man, man, I was going to struggle with, with my diet. And, uh, and, and it's especially bad at night. I know most of you get that. During the day, I'm disciplined. I'm with people. And at night, especially if I'm alone, it's bad. And so true story, I'm laying there at night in, in June, and, and I'm in bed, and I'm like, oh, God, I, got, I need to go to sleep. And I can't go to sleep. And, and I can just hear, like the refrigerator literally has a voice, and I can just hear it. <laughs> and it's saying, Jamie, come down here. And, 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 then, and then, you know, typical temptation, you know, it won't hurt you. Everyone's doing it. You know, that type of thing. And... and uh, 
And, and, and so I get up and I walk downstairs and I'm, and I'm just typical man, you know, I'm like pausing in front of the fridge. I shouldn't do that. Shit. And I open it, you know, and I'm, I'm looking in there. I'm defrosting it so long, you know, and, and true story. This happens so often. My phone will ring right at that moment. And I pick up my phone and I go, hello. And it's my wife, Kim. <laughs> true story. And she always says the same thing. Hey, what you doing right now? <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, what, do we have cameras in our home? Because we don't. I, and, and I can't even tell you how often that happens. And you see, somebody once said this. This is a true story. Somebody once said that the definition of a miracle or, or a coincidence is that God performs a miracle and prefers to remain anonymous, Right? So, so I don't see that as a coincidence when my wife calls me. I see that as this, that God who loves me is providing me a way of escape. And by the way, I don't have to take it. I don't have to tap into his power at that time. I could lie to her. Wouldn't that just be terrible? I could say nothing. I'm in bed, you know, getting ready to go to bed while I'm sitting there in front of the fridge. But I don't lie to Kim. I say, wow, funny you ask. I'm kind of looking at an open fridge right now. And she's like, don't do it, you know, and that type of thing. God does that so often for me. I wonder if he does that for you. See, I know he does. How about this promise? <laughs> this one's going to hit Scottsdale hard. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What's he saying there? We saw this promise already, but what this means in this context here is that he's always with you. He's number one in your life and he wants you to live like that. So he's saying, even in a town like Scottsdale, don't love money. Learn to be content with what you have right now. It doesn't mean you'll never buy anything new again, but just chill and put God first and everything else second and see where that lands you. You see, many of us don't live like that. If we're honest with ourselves, the first thing we do in the morning is check our accounts and, and we're focused on our next purchase and we're getting on Amazon.com and Craigslist and going to Fashion Square and Keelan's and all that thing. That's what consumes our lives. And then we throw God into the mix. And we come to church and do our Bible study, but we know it's out of whack. Try putting it right side up. Uh, try saying, God comes first. I'm gonna live contentedly in his presence. And then, and then, I'm gonna to look to maybe what he wants me to do with the blessings I have. It's a promise that he wants to empower your life with. Uh, John Piper years ago wrote a wonderful book, very long, no pictures, so it was a hard read. And it, it's a book called Future Grace. And the simple premise of the book, I'll save you from having to read it, it's profound. He says, here you are in the present and God, who knows your future, has gone ahead of you. And if you're a believer in his son, Jesus, he has provided grace for you in the future. Watch this. So that when your life catches up to the future, that grace is there waiting for you. Does that sound like God or what? So around every corner of life, his grace, his power is there for you. But you have to believe. You have to embrace you have to embrace Jesus like you're clinging to a life preserver and you have to embrace his promises. Really, at the end of the day, gang, this all comes down to dependency. Dependency. I want to close with an illustration that will let you know a little bit about my summer and uh, I think we'll also wrap this up neatly for us with a choice that we can make. 
Uh, one of the things that happened to us at, at the beginning of last summer is that we inherited a new family member in our life. Here, here she is right now. And, uh, yep. And uh, her name is Maylee. She was my daughter Abby's dog. And Abby moved to Austin, Texas with a job promotion and, and with her lifestyle there could not keep Maylee. She was only uh, about a year and a half old at that time. And so about a year ago, we, we got Maylee as, as, as a dog for us. We had another one as well. And, uh, you know, though she's a beautiful, beautiful little dog, she's what they call a poodle shih tzu mix. And it's probably one of the most terrible combinations you could ever come up with for a dog. I really mean it, because what they did is they bred a shih tzu, which is a very small defenseless dog, with a poodle that has all this white hair and is a rather bright dog. Poodles are very smart, but she's got a really dysfunctional body. She's only about 10 pounds, so she's very small. She's sweet as sweet could be, but she's very defenseless. Like you can see these very short legs, but this rather oblong body. And honestly, she couldn't defend herself from a kitten. I mean, this thing is just absolutely defenseless. And so as a result of this, this breeding that they put together, and we love her to death, she is, is more dependent on us than any dog we've ever had. I mean, here's an example. Here's another picture. This is us flying home uh, on the airplane. And, uh, and, and, and Maylee is her name. We call her May. I mean, sits in the plane seat next to Kim. And I had to pay for that because I can't get a therapist to sign off on an emotional support animal for me. And so <laughs> if you're a therapist, see me afterward. And so... Uh, so I, so I paid for Maylee, you know, to be in, and, and the flight attendant was great. She comes along and says, oh, is that an emotional support animal? My wife says, no, I'm her, I'm her emotional support human. And uh, so that, that's, that's really, and, and this dog is just so dependent on us. I mean, it, it, more so than I've ever seen in my life. I mean, here's the deal. She, because of her oblong body and small legs and, and, and just kind of dysfunctionality, she can't jump up onto a couch or a bed. It, it would hurt her back. And, and so we have to lift her up under the bed. We have to lift her out of the bed. Uh, she can't go outside alone. She's like owl bait, if there ever was that. I mean, she just, she couldn't protect herself at all. And we have a bobcat in our neighborhood. So, I mean, you know, many of you live like this. So we're walking outside with her now and, and all of that and, and everything. I mean, we, she doesn't like to be left alone. I mean, it's like we have a new baby in our house and, and, and we love her to death. But she's extremely dependent. But here's my point. Because she's also a poodle, and really is rather bright, she knows how dependent she is on us. And even more so, it's actually a beautiful thing to watch. She expects us to be there for her each moment of each day. My daughters actually call her the princess because they were never treated so nice. But, but if I'm laying on the bed, say I go to lay down for a few minutes during the day, which I do more often as I get older, and I'm laying on our bed, again, she can't jump up on the bed, but all she has to do is walk over, and she has this little grunt. It's not even quite a whimper, just a little grunt, and she knows that I'll reach down and lift her up. If she needs to go outside, even in the middle of the night, she'll just move three feet toward the end of the bed, give a little grunt. She knows Kim or I will get up and take her outside, turn the light on, watch her so that no owls get her, and then bring her back in. She does that with food, with snacks. I mean, she has developed a lifestyle where she expects and, and knows that we will be there for her. It's very beautiful to watch. And, and that's new for me because we've had dogs for years. I have another dog that lives in our house right now, and he's the opposite. He's a Jack Russell Terrier. You know the breed? 
Oh, I love those dogs. He's 20 pounds of pure muscle. And I mean, he, he could take on a hyena. I mean, this guy is just, he's just tough. And, and, and he's ruling the roost. He's always, you know, checking every window. And, and he's very independent. And honestly, the only thing he wants from me is food. And, and, and other than that, he really, I mean, when Kim left the house, you know, for three weeks in June, I barely saw him. He, he's very independent. And, and when he needs food, he wants me. If he wants to go out, he wants me. Other than that, just leave me alone. I'm just fine. Thank you. And so I got Maley, who's absolutely dependent. I got Cooper, this Jack Russell, who's like the opposite. And here's my question for you. Now, this is really important. In God's eyes, are you more like Cooper or are you more like Maley? Which do you think it is? It's a really important question. Does God see you like an independent Jack Russell Terrier that, that, that only needs him every once in a while? Or does he see you like my precious little Shih Tzu poodle mix who's kind of dysfunctional and, and has desperate need each moment of each day? Which way do you think God sees you? See, I know the answer to that question. <laughs> Some of you don't. Many Christians walk around like Jack Russell Terriers. Have you ever noticed that? We're feisty. We're angry. We're ready to nip at anything around us. And though we say we need God for our daily sustenance, man, I'm telling you, we only need him when we want him. And then we hear a statement like this, that he's everything that you need and he's more than you could ever want, and we don't even know what to do with that. No, could it be that God wants you to become, like Jesus said, like a little child, like a melee, where you realize your utter fragility, you realize your utter need for him, you realize that you need him to lift you up each day and place you on a bed. You need him to walk with you in this dangerous world by your side. That you're more needy than you could ever realize. I know some of you men don't like to think this, even some of you women. But this is the way God knows and sees you. He knows how much you need him. The question is, do you? Because one of the reasons you don't have power in your life is because you're not dependent on him like he wants you to be. And the challenge for us is to become more like my little dog, or as Jesus said, more like a little child, where you realize your dependence, your need, and then test him in this. And like me with my dog, he'll lift you up every time you need it. He'll take you out whenever you need it. He'll put you in the airline seat right next to him. See, God's gonna do all that for you. It's just you've never really seen it that way. You've never believed in him that way. That's when you get God. That's when you tap into his power. He's good for it. He loves you. Let's depend on him at that level. Father, thank you for the words of Peter here that act as such a great challenge to us that you've given us everything that we need, all things for life and godliness. But Lord, we need to know Jesus personally. We need to trust in the promises of your word. And Lord, I pray that as we do those things, we would partake of your power and that we would escape the things that plague us. So Lord, make us more like a, a, a melee type dog rather than a, a Jack Russell. Make us, Lord, the type of people that depend on you in our finite world. And Lord, as we do that, may we get you on a deeper level. May we know you on a more intimate level. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. amen.